So how many of you have ever been greeted by Jerry Resch at the front door? Just raise your hand. If he's ever hugged you, listen there. That's a, did you hear that? It's, a, it's a golf course clap. That's a good putt. So this is Jerry Resch. He's just a member here. And just a member. This is what you're about to witness. Uh, on day four of our prayer and fasting and I mean, our prayer time, it, it talks about proclaiming the good news. And today, I wanted you to have this experience to meet Jerry. And he's, you know, he'll just greet you and hug you and say, hey, and glad you're here. But what you're about to witness is a man of God who has hidden away the scriptures in his heart. In first service, for 30 minutes, all he did was quote the word of God. Teenagers, rarely do you get to be in the presence of someone you can really call a man after God's own heart. Jerry is just going to be sharing from his heart. I'm asking you to do one thing today. Don't take your eyes off of him and allow yourself to listen and view the impact of a man who has decided to walk with God and just see what it looks like. You'll, you're going to see a man with a gentle spirit and a humble heart just talk about people whose lives were transformed in the name of Jesus. And all he's simply saying is, I want to be one of them. That's what you're about to witness. So I just want to pray for Jerry and for our time this morning. And then I'm going to let you just welcome him to the stage, okay? We're going to hold hands like grown men are supposed to. So, Lord God, I love Jerry Resch. I love what he stands for. I love his heart. I love what he did in first service. I love just watching him quote your word. I love that you can tell he spent time with you. You said The same thing was said about the apostles. People could tell they had spent time with Jesus. That's what this morning is going to feel like. And I pray inside each of us there becomes a deep yearning for more of you and your word. Lord God, let, let your spirit be powerful in this place. In the name of Jesus, amen. Would you welcome Jerry Resch to the stage for us this morning? Thanks, Rick. Thank you also, Tyler. Is it uh, just a coincidence that the songs were about Jesus this morning and he knew that we were going to be speaking about Jesus? I tell you, this is um, one of the many good things that's going on at First City Church. And uh, why wouldn't a person want to be a member here and join in with us? There's so many good things going on. <clears throat> couple of funny things. Uh, in the first service, I kept referring to the outline, and I said, point number one. And then I found Richard came up and told me afterwards that there was no outline out there. <laughs> and I didn't know that. I thought they were all there. But anyway, that, that worked out. I hope they're there for you all this, this second service. I know they are. They put them out. The other thing was I said they, uh, and I don't want to know about this, but there's a trap door here. And I said, uh, <laughs> they positioned me right over this trap door. So <laughs> if I disappear halfway through, you'll know what happened. But anyway, I know that's there for a purpose. And on the outline there, and I feel funny saying that, 
you see that Jesus is the answer in the um, up, upper left there, and that's, that's exactly right. For most of our problems today, if we pause, go to Jesus, there's going to be the answer. Maybe not immediately, maybe not uh, soon, but ultimately we will find the answer. And I have some scriptures there. Matthew and Mark are the words of Jesus. Matthew and Mark just recorded the words and uh, Acts and First Peter, of course, are the words of Peter. And uh, then after that, I want to uh, talk about, as Rick said, five people from the New Testament who had a meeting with Jesus. On the road, in the tree, by the well, wherever. Uh, and it, you know, it, it carries over to us today. Because it, it doesn't matter where we meet Jesus, the, the thing that matters is, do we meet him, if we meet him, and go on from there. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, Jesus said, go and disciple or make disciples, baptizing all nations in the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, and uh, then teach them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And he added, lo, I'm with you always till the end of the, the very end of the age, amen. And then Mark records Jesus saying, chapter 16, Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believes not shall be condemned. And so part of it this morning is I want you to know and just remind you that there are two places. I want to go to the place that's called paradise. And uh, the word paradise is used three times in the New Testament. Maybe I'll uh, mention those later on. But then 1 Peter 3, 20 and 21, Peter said God was patient in the days of Noah while he was waiting for the ark to be prepared and uh, eight souls, that is Noah, his wife, three sons and their wives were saved by water. Now that was a physical thing. But then Peter goes on to say, the like manner now of baptism also saves you, not the washing away of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. I pray that if you have been baptized and you are a member of the, of the Lord's kingdom, that you are working and serving and continuing to grow in the relationship. If we are standing still, we're going to be stagnant. The only way we can keep growing and learning is if we keep working and studying in the Bible. I mentioned that, and this is not a big point, but I just want to say it. Uh, the best I could find there are 2.3 billion uh, Christians in the world today. And that is about 31% of the entire world population. So almost one in every three folks out there are Christians. I want to believe that those people know what they're doing. And I just asked the question, I said, you know, can 2.3 billion people be wrong? Maybe they can. And maybe we can. But we have to stay in the word to make sure that we uh, don't end up on the wrong side. And then I uh, started uh, five encounters there. I want to take off with Peter and tell you a little bit about him. Peter was a man who denied Jesus three times. Um, he was, as far as I know, not at the crucifixion, although the Apostle John, one of his traveling companions, was there, and Jesus' family and so on. Um, 
he was a coward in places. He was negative at times, and yet he overcame all that. And we're going to see how, how powerful and how strong a person he was for the cause uh, after Jesus has gone away. And, you know, maybe that's what it took. Maybe that's what it took for the apostles to come out and to be strong because now they don't have Jesus to lean on, and so they had to fill the void. And they did that in a very good manner. Anyway, I'll read it there. Matthew 16, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. So number one, you are the Messiah. Actually, when they came, uh, first came there and uh, the disciples were with him, he said, Who do these people think that I am? And they said, John the Baptist, um, Elijah, others, maybe Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And, and I think he took this occasion to look right at them, look right in their eyes and say, who do you think that I am? Because they're halfway through the book of Matthew. He wants to know if they're getting it or not. He wants to know what they believe. And they've been together all this time, traveling, maybe taking him for granted. But did they know what he was all about, even at this time? And if you think that's a silly question, then think about Acts 1, when he was ready to ascend, and one of them asked him, Lord, are you going to restore your kingdom to Israel? They thought that he was going to have a, uh, a kingdom here on earth at the, the current time. So he wants to know. Acts chapter 4 and verse 20. After Jesus is gone, here's John and Peter out preaching and um, they are taken in before the Jewish council and the leaders there, and they're warned and they're threatened not to be speaking in this man's name anymore. And Peter spoke up in verse 20 and said, we can't help but speak about what we have seen and heard. They were firsthand observers. And then later on, Peter was the one who wrote uh, two short letters, two short books near the end of the New Testament. And one of them is First Peter one and nine and he says you are receiving the goal of your faith which is the salvation of your souls and i read that and i stopped a minute and i said wait a minute you mean that the faith that we have the belief that we have the number one reason is so that we can be saved and so then it makes sense if we are not saved if we haven't obtained salvation if we're not part of the saved body then what else matters? And the people who completely reject him and completely ignore his word and are not interested in salvation, why would they even show up and, and take part in anything else? If we weren't interested in that, we'd probably be out fishing or shopping or whatever, we, whatever else we do. But that's the point. We as believers know that a part of it is we want to be saved, right? Number two, Nicodemus said, Rabbi, God is with you. John 3, 1 and 2. There was a man named Nicodemus, Jewish leader, who was a Pharisee. And after dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. And he said, Rabbi, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. And if he had a question, he, he really didn't get to it because Jesus jumped in and said, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. 
today, some places you go and you mention the phrase born again, people will roll their eyes and say, oh no, another Jesus freak. You know, that's, that's the reception we get sometimes. And um, I think it's still important for us to, to mention the name and to be aware of everything that, um, that every example that we see from the New Testament. And then uh, when he said that, Nicodemus responded and said, how can that be when a man is old, he cannot be born again? And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, unless a man is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So there's the spirit thing and there's the water thing, two items that are going to be prevalent throughout the New Testament and important um, to all of us and to people who are seeking Number three, talk about Paul. Uh, Philippians 1, 23 and 24. Paul said, I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it's better that, that I continue to live. Well, of course it was for the Philippians and for all the other churches that he started. And he went back to from time to time as recorded in Acts 13 and 14 with his companions and reviewed the people and their, their uh, faith, encouraged the people to keep them going. Uh, Paul was a man who was persecuting Christians. I don't know if you remember that, but he was on the road to Damascus from Jerusalem. He had papers in his hand that allowed him to go into the synagogue in Damascus, arrest any Christians he found, bring them back in chains to Jerusalem to be punished. But before he got to, Jeru to Damascus outside the city, a bright light shone on him. A voice came down from the light uh, saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And in verse, is it verse 5 there? Yes, uh, Acts 9 is the chapter of the conversion. He said, um, Lord, who are you? Strange question. Who are you, Lord? He knew who he was, but he was asking anyway. He wanted to know what was happening. And he, Jesus said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And they went from there. Uh, later on, Paul was led into the city because he was blind from the bright light. Uh, blinded by the light. That'd be a good title for a song, wouldn't it? <laughs> All right. He was led into the city and they found uh, some people that would put him up. In the meantime, Jesus uh, uh, appeared to a man named Ananias and told him to go and take care of him. Ananias was just like Moses. He protested. He didn't want to go. He said, Lord, don't you know this man over here has been persecuting us and all the Christians? Jesus said, go. It doesn't matter. I want him to be my messenger to the Gentiles. And so Ananias went. Uh, told him what had happened. The scales fell off of Paul's eyes. He hadn't had anything to eat or drink for three days. And um, Ananias baptized him. And then he had something to eat. And then if you follow in the ninth chapter there, in the very next two verses, Paul is up preaching now for Jesus. Isn't that something? From a persecutor over here to meeting Jesus, having an encounter with him, and finding out what he was all about, and then accepting for himself, changing, as we all need to do when we meet Jesus. And now he's over here on the right side, 
a strong ally and a strong preacher to the Gentiles for Jesus. I forgot to mention in um, about Nicodemus, there were two other occasions, I think, where, where he showed that he was not just a Pharisee and not just with the council. One of them was in chapter 7, uh, about verse 51, um, going back, and I don't want to mess you up, but uh, he said, uh, how do we um, condemn a man without first giving him a hearing? And this was after the authorities had sent two officers out to arrest Jesus and bring him back so they could deal with him. And the officers came back without him, and they said, what happened? Where is he? Why didn't you bring him in? And they said, no man has ever spoken like this man has uh, spoke to us. And the Jewish council said, be careful that you don't get taken in by him also. And then that's when Nicodemus spoke up. When they were making other plans to punish him more, Nicodemus took up for Jesus. He said, can we condemn a man without first giving him a hearing? Um, okay. Anyway, when it was time for uh, the body of Jesus after the crucifixion to be taken somewhere, Joseph of Arimathea used his own tomb to provide a place for Jesus to be buried. But the scripture says he went secretly. This is uh, John 19, verse 38, and the following verses. Went secretly because he was a secret disciple. He was a believer. He, he was part of Jesus, but he didn't want the Jews to know because everybody was, was afraid of the Jews. If you got the Jews scared up against you, you were in trouble. And that's what happened to Jesus, uh, ultimately. But anyway, guess who was there with Joseph to prepare for the burial? Nicodemus, who brought 75 pounds of aloes and spices to help prepare Jesus for the tomb. So another turnaround as far as I'm concerned, in addition to Paul. You know, I'm back to Paul now on number three. And here's why I like Paul, because he had students. He had Timothy, Titus. Uh, Silas, Barnabas, and maybe John Mark at one time, who all who traveled around with him and uh, encouraged him, and he advised them, helped them out, mentored them. Uh, Paul was a man who allowed Jesus to turn him around. We need to have willing hearts if we're ever going to see Jesus, if we're ever going to meet him on the road or wherever. Uh, Romans 12 Paul wrote the book of Romans in chapter 12. He tells us how to live and get along with people, just like the book of Proverbs. We need to, as far as it depends upon us, to be at peace with everyone, Paul said. Don't repay evil for evil. Repay evil with good. Uh, encourage people. Love one another. Those are all from Paul in chapter 12 of Romans. And then, as I mentioned a minute ago, Paul talked about paradise in Second um, Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 4, Paul said, I know a man who about 14 years ago, I don't know if he was in the body or out of the body, but God knows, he said he was caught up to the third heaven. Now, wait a minute. Uh, is there one, two, three heavens? Some people believe that the first heaven is from here to the, out to the atmosphere. The second heaven starts at the atmosphere and goes to outer space where the sun, the moon, the stars, and all that. 
And then the third heaven, of course, would be the realm of God, where God lives. So anyway, he said, I was caught up to the, to the third heaven. I don't know if I was in the body or out of the body. He really doesn't say I. He says, I know a man, but it turns out to be him. And then he says, yes, I was caught up to paradise, one of the places. Okay, the second place it's mentioned is in uh, Luke uh, 23 and verse 43, where Jesus responds to the man on the cross. When the man says, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, please remember me. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Or the punctuation, if it's not proper there, it could be, today I'm telling you, you will be with me in paradise. Or today I say to you, you will be with me in paradise. And after all, when Jesus went to Hades, we don't know where he was those three days. He can go anywhere he pleases at any time. So the third instance of paradise is in Revelation. Now, a lot of people are afraid of the book of Revelation. I call it the book of end times. Uh, you can call it what you want, but you really need to do a study of that book uh, to clear up a lot of things. So what I did was start in chapter 1 and go through chapter 22, and each chapter I would put on one page, and I would put all the things that I thought were highlights, and then chapter 2, the same thing. And then when I got through with 22, um, put them all together and try to make sense out of this book. And what I found was that in chapters 20, 21, and 22, everything seemed to clear up. And I think now that I halfway understand the book of Revelation, maybe I'm wrong, but I think it can be done. So the other, the third instance of the mention of paradise is in uh, Revelation 2 and verse 7. John was in the spirit on the Lord's day. He was allowed, like Paul, to see a preview of heaven. And here he's witnessing Jesus writing to the church at Ephesus. And what Jesus says is, to him who overcomes, I will give, a, I will give the right to drink from the, um, the river of life or to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. If you read the book of Revelation, there's a lot to be said that heaven and earth is going to pass away as we know it and think about it. But there's going to be a new one. Everything's going to be new. All this other stuff is going to fade away. Isn't that what happens in baptism, the other uh, people we've talked about here? And when Paul was baptized, and uh, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation, a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, everything is new. So that's the way I look at it. Look at it. Not that it's anything magical, but it is something spiritual where we go down into the baptism water and we're the old person with all our sins and all that stuff back there and all the things, as Crowder says, if you listen to him, I've seen things I wish I hadn't seen and I've done things I wish I hadn't done. All those go down into the water with you and then symbolically when we come up, a new person on the other side, that's what we want and that's what can happen through Jesus. Um, how it works is uh, it's a spiritual thing and it's not uh, just because of the water. You already heard it's we're baptized because we want to have our consciences clear with God, right? That's what Paul said. He said, I am free from all men. 
I have a clear conscience about the work I've done. I've fought the good fight. I've uh, run a good race, and I'm ready to, to go on. Just thoughts throwing out to you. Zacchaeus, the fourth person there, I welcome you gladly. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. But before that, the thought is that Zacchaeus will live somewhere near Jericho. Jesus was traveling through that area, and Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. He desired to meet this man. And there was a large crowd in front of him. He couldn't see because he was a short man. And guess what? He was another tax collector. And so the people weren't crazy about him. And that's because he was wealthy. He didn't have anybody monitoring him. And he could turn in the taxes to the Roman authorities as much as he wanted and maybe keep back a little bit. And then over a period of time, he would come, become wealthy. So he got Jesus and he said, in the, what is it, verse 8, he said, Look, Lord, I'm giving half my possessions today to the poor. And then if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'm going to pay it back four times. And I said earlier, I think Jesus knows us inside out. He knows every person. And he knew if Zacchaeus was just putting him on or if he was serious. And he knew that this man was serious because he wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to meet him. And so he said, today salvation has come to this house. He's talking about Zacchaeus. And so I say to you that when we are saved by Jesus, we are truly saved. And then verse 10, he wanted to explain why he came. And that was why he was in the house of Zacchaeus. The son of man came to seek and to save those who were lost. God is still searching for every person who's lost. He wants us to be saved. His part of it for him is that he wants us all to be saved. Paul said at one place, my hope and my desire for all of Israel is that they might be saved. But it's we who are stubborn, right? And we sometimes who don't want any part of it. And we make the mistakes. But God, as far as his part, be satisfied about that. He wants all of us to be saved. Zacchaeus, I like to think that he was a good man and he went on to uh, make the best that he could out of the career that he had chosen as a tax collector and uh, lived a good life and was a, a person for the Lord. It's all about salvation. Last, I want to talk about the woman at the well. And um, Jesus had to go from Judea in the south up through Samaria to Galilee. And uh, he came to a little place in a little village, Sychar, where Jacob's well was. And it was about the... Uh, uh, sixth hour, 12 o'clock noon, high noon. He was probably um, thirsty, and the scripture said he was tired, so he sat down by the well. Samaritan woman came out with a water jar, and he asked her for a drink. He said, will you give me a drink? She said, but you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Um, how can you ask me for a drink? And then in parentheses in some of your Bibles, there's a little note that says, Jews do not associate with Samaritans. The Samaritans were people who had done exactly what God had asked them not to do when they went into the promised land. He said, now, they're standing up on the edge of the, 
of the Jordan River, they're ready to cross over 603,500 people. They started over one evening. They crossed through the Jordan River, and the scripture says by the next morning they were all in the promised land. They had all crossed over. But God warned them. He said, now when you get there, there's some things that you'll have to remember. All the people haven't been driven out of the promised land. That'll be up to you. Another thing was that he said was, don't intermingle with the nations around you because here's what will happen. First of all, you'll start marrying their people. They'll start marrying your people. And then next you'll start worshiping their idols. And it's exactly what happened. And he said they have idols made of wood, metal, and stone. Their idols don't move. They don't say anything. They can't speak. And he is warning them, do not do that. And that, that's, that's what happened. So um, this was a Samaritan woman, and she was in that position. She came out and to, meet, uh, to meet Jesus. And some people say that he, the, it, the well there was just an excuse, that it, the whole plan from the beginning was he wanted to meet these people who were outcasts from the Jewish people. Samaritans would be happy to talk to the Jews, but the Jews were the ones who were, you know, stuck up. They didn't want anything to do with them, right? And some, I mentioned before, some of the, uh, the stricter Jews would cross over. If they were going on Jesus' trip, they would cross over, go east across the Jordan River, uh, go north up, follow the river, and when they came to Galilee, cross back over and go wherever they were going, to the city, Capernaum, Bethsaida, Nazareth, Cana, wherever. So that's, that's the story with her. And so... Um, when this happens and Jesus uh, mentions that if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, again, she's talking uh, physical water and he's talking spiritual things. He's talking about himself when he mentions living water. She said, sir, but the well here is deep, and you have nothing to draw with. And he said, that doesn't matter. Uh, whoever drinks from this well will be thirsty again. But the person who drinks from the water that I give will never thirst. Indeed, the water that I give will become a well of water springing up into eternal life. So he's talking about spiritual things. And just in a few minutes from speaking together, all of a sudden this woman says, Sir, give me this water so that I won't have to come here to, and be thirsty again and keep drawing water out of this well. He said, Go, call your husband and come back. And she said, I have no husband. He said, What you've said is right. You've had five husbands and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. And then she said, Sir, I can see that you are a prophet. You know that our fathers used to worship on this mountain, and, but you Jews say that Jerusalem is the place where we should worship. And then they go on and get into a conversation about how to worship. And uh, Jesus says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And then um, she says, well, I don't know about all this, but I know one thing. When Messiah comes, he will explain all of this to us. Verse 26, Jesus says, I who speak to you am he. That's the NIV version. Um, 
I'm not sure about other versions, but he's, he's telling her, yes, I am the Messiah. So in the blank there, he told me everything that I ever did. And then the, uh, the upshot, the result of all this was the woman became a believer and she didn't want to keep it to herself. So she, when the disciples came back with food from town, she dropped her water jar and went back to the village people and told them to come see a man who told her everything she ever did. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. How would you like that? She met Jesus and he told, I wouldn't like for him to review everything I've done, certainly. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he indeed is the Savior of the world. And that's all Jesus wanted to hear. He wants to hear us say, Lord, we believe that you are the Son of God and that you came to search us out, to seek us out, and then to save us. It's all about salvation. All these people were turned around by Jesus. Peter, just think about how strong a person he was preaching on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. All the people were gathered there, hundreds, thousands, the scripture says at the end of his sermon, 3,000 people were baptized and added to the church that day. Tell me Peter wasn't a strong man for the Lord. Nicodemus, Zacchaeus, we know Paul. If Paul be the author of the book of Hebrews, he will have written more than half or at least half of the books in the New Testament. St. Paul, how can we not be proud of him? And then the Samaritan woman, she didn't keep it to herself. She took responsibility for turning around in spite of all her reputation, everything she had been through. And then after she became convinced and said, Sir, give me this water, then she took off to tell the village people the same thing. Come see this guy. Some, come listen to him. This is a person that told me everything I ever did. I have... On the back of the outline, some reminders for us. And I may not read all the scriptures there, but uh, I'm trying to be aware of the time. On the back, lessons from these encounters. Remember these great examples of believers. In John chapter 20, uh, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, Son of God, and that by believing in him, you might have life by the power of his name. Another place in 20 or 21 uh, chapter of John, it says that if all the books could be written about all the wonderful things he did, the world itself probably couldn't contain the books. Isn't that something? Number two, study your Bible a little bit every day. Have an organized plan. Have a plan that you're going to study the Gospels and find out who Jesus is, and then you're going to read uh, Paul and then the book of Acts to find out uh, how the people reacted to that after he was gone. 2 Timothy 2, study to show yourself approved unto God, workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. 2 Timothy 2, 15. Don't lose your focus. I'm the world's worst at getting distracted. If something happens over here, it gets my attention. If something happens here, it gets my attention. And then pretty soon I lose my focus on what I originally was doing. Like you go into a room and you stop 
and then you forget what you came in there for. I saw a cartoon of this guy standing at the bottom of the stairs, and he had his hand on the stair post at the bottom. He says, now, was I going up or was I coming down? I can't remember. And that's the way, that's the way all my life I've been a procrastinator and a uh, person who gets easily distracted. Now I'm working on the procrastination, and I'm learning the wisdom of when something comes up, Tackle it right then. Don't put it off because then it'll be a lot worse to deal with. So don't lose your focus. Please study and keep studying. The eyes of the Lord search the whole world, the whole earth, in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. God is still looking for us. He's hoping and he's wanting us to come and take part of his kingdom. Why? Because he created, as Rick said in his prayer. He wants us to be saved. He wants us to be there with him. And the good part is in uh, the book of Revelation, I hate to go go too far there, but God now is up there. We are down here. It's going to be different in paradise. God is going to be with us. He's going to be side by side, wiping our tears away. No more mourning. No more crying. No more pain, no more night. The sun and stars will all be gone. The sea will be gone. Heaven and earth as we know it now will be gone. We won't need anything else because the brilliance from the throne coming from God will be all the light that we need. We can't wait. Some of us can't wait. I don't want you to get burned out. In 2 Corinthians 4, Uh, about three or four lines up from the bottom. I won't read the whole thing. But Paul says, This is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. Now think about that. The Spirit, if we've been a part of the Lord, we have the Spirit inside us. The Spirit is being renewed every day so that we don't get burnt out. And he says, these little problems that we have, they won't last very long, but they'll, what they will do is produce something in us that's far worth more than what the problem itself was all about, and that glory will last for, forever. Last of all, we must be fully devoted followers. Think about what the people in the first uh, century did after Jesus was gone. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 46. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and prayer. Deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. I see you all, the members here, doing that every week, every month for other people here who are in need. I know it happens because I witness it. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes by the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. That's the first city, a first city church, yeah, and the first century church also. That's what they did. It's all about salvation first. And then it's about Jesus. And I just appreciate Tyler uh, arranging all the songs mentioning Jesus. Thank you for listening today. Uh, If you have a response, they have these response cards out there. If you need to use them, 
I pray that you are right up to the edge of believing and maybe you'll be there soon. And for those of you who have been believers for years, I'm proud of you. And I hope we can stick together and keep working. There's so much good at this church. Keep it up. Will you stand and pray with me?